Hey everyone, how you going? It's Nelly here. Happy New Year to you. Don't know where that came from. Hey, we at the Dear Nelly team hope 2024 is full of love and adventure and rest and all the things, whatever that looks like for you. And thank you again for your continued support for this funny little podcast. Now, we've got some very exciting news. We have another live show coming up. This one is on Thursday, the 8th of February at the Malthouse Outdoors at the iconic Malthouse Theatre in Melbourne as part of their annual podcast season where they showcase mm -hmm, the best podcasts around. I am thrilled to confirm that the lineup includes me, obviously, hosting. We also have comedian, author and broadcaster Sammy Shah. Jesus, he's funny. He's so great on radio. He's so great at all the things. Some of you may know him from the Australian story on ABC, which featured the incredible tale of him and his now wife, academic Kylie Moore Gilbert, who was sentenced to 10 years in an Iranian prison, but thankfully made it home. What a love story. We also have comedian and dear Nelly favourite, the incomparable Kirsty Wiebeck, who also happens to be one of my strawberryest of strawberry friends, and I know you all adore adore her. And last but not least, oh my god, we have comedian and actor Lizzie Who. Lizzie bloody Who. She's on all the comedy specials, on all the streaming services, and no doubt she's one of the hottest bloody comedians going around. Now, I mean hot as in popular, but you know, you go with whatever. So look, I urge you to get in and book tickets via the Malthouse website or my website at nellythomas.com and of course there are links in the show notes couple of other quick reminders keep your calls coming if you can join patreon or acast plus for five bucks a month for bonus episodes and other rewards this year paid subscribers will get live zoom events with me throughout the year where we can do q a's and interact now, this podcast was recorded in the council area known as Darabin in Melbourne. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Last but not least, some things don't change, Moles. This is a sex, dating and relationships podcast for adults. If you don't like swearing, it's really going to give you the shit. So, off your fuck. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Dear Nelly, I could use some advice, dear Nelly. Yeah, some help would be nice, dear Nelly. I'm eager to hear your point of view, dear There's a lot to explore, dear Nelly. When you're 40 or more, dear Nelly. So I'm hoping we could talk it through. Yes, dear. 
All right. Welcome to Dear Nelly, Sex, Relationships and Dating from the Other Side of 40. And today we are joined by what a delight. It is Van Batham. Oh, my God. I, I'm sorry about all the, the pre-podcast chat. I just had to get it all out of my system. Oh, no, we're going over it again. I'm loving it. I am absolutely loving it. Can I just say, if you're listening to this and not seeing it, it's Nelly's beautiful face. It's the glow. You're just like, I would tell you anything. <laughs> it's the menopausal glow that elicits confessions from people. Yeah, whereas I've just got the perimenopausal frizz, as you can know, <laughs> tell from my hair. Now, of course, darling Van, I know who you are, but can you introduce yourself? Because as with many of my guests, you are so multifaceted that I dare not try and summarise you in a sentence. So who the hell are you? I love how that's the reality of making making a living in anything related to arts or media in this country, is you've got to be multifaceted or you will not earn enough money to live. Um, So I am primarily known as a columnist for The Guardian, and I've actually been there for 10 years, which I find unbelievable. Yeah, 10 years. Amazing. Congrats. As I write opinion, uh, as you'll understand very quickly, is a forthright individual. Uh, But I was recruited for my job at The Guardian uh, back in the day doing various weird forms of obscure feminist stand-up comedy, Yes, um, which is not something I've ever done particularly successfully apart from that one night. That yeah. one night I was genuinely funny and got and got the gig. So Love that's it. good. I am a playwright. That's yes. what I'm trained in doing. I have studied to be a playwright longer than people trained to be brain surgeons. Yeah. It's very interesting that it doesn't command the same level of cultural heft as you yes. get being a brain surgeon and because your job is to bring joy. Yeah. You know, I think it's just as worthwhile as having your brain fixed as yeah. having two hours where you can just sit in a room full of strangers and have a good time. So I've got of a big Of course show. it is. If I were actually going to, if, if I had taken the reins and introduced you, I would have put Playwright first because that's how I was introduced to you and your mm. work. Mm. And I agree, like, if we learn nothing in COVID, it's how important the arts were. Where, who, who did we turn to for comfort? Yeah, can I say it was a very tough time for theatre people because theatre sure people are about the people. Yeah. We're people people yeah. and suddenly having no people was rough. It was yeah. really rough. But, yeah, so I have a big show coming up at the Sydney Theatre Company. That Amazing. The 6th of February called A Fall in Love, which is a farce. Yes. Uh, and let me tell you, it takes a lot of time and effort to pull out yeah. some really cheap laughs. And then in July and August, I'll be in Adelaide because I've written a musical. Yes, you have. Called The Questions, which is a rom-com musical with my beautiful musical partner, Dr. Richard Wise. Amazing. And, yeah, and I'm doing other things like I'm writing for TV. I have a show in development, which is very exciting. And I'm writing a new book. I did a book a couple of years ago called QAnon and On, A Short and Shocking History of Internet Conspiracy Cults. Uh, which was just about crazy people on the internet and how they're yeah. really dangerous. Oh, my God, they wow. are dangerous. Who knew? And, Van, can I just say I, I wish you'd made something of your life. You yeah, know? I do like... a podcast. I do a podcast <laughs> with do. my beautiful husband, Ben, called The Week on Wednesday, and I do something else, but I can't remember what it is. I mean, I do a bunch of stuff. You do stuff everywhere all the time and all of the things that you've listed I will put in the show notes and on our social media and Particularly, can I say, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I found 
doing live shows, you know, we're not post-COVID, but let's just use that terminology, um, has been a lot more difficult. People book very late um, or they don't book at all. It Please go to the live shows, support your live artists, mm. support your playwrights, your comedians, your dancers, your whoever, because we need it. Oh, look, it has been... It, it's only in the past couple of months that anything has felt sort of normal again. Yeah, ish. Like, I mean, I've been going back to the theatre for the past, what, 18 months. Yeah. And it was tense. Like, it was yeah. tense going yeah. in the beginning because none of us were, it was like, are we all right? Are we safe? Yeah. How many injections do you need? Are we okay? Yeah. Like, yeah. And there were theatre companies that were just plagued with rolling cycles of, COVID infection it was it's been a really hard time really but I feel rough. like we're getting to the other side and I'm just very I start rehearsals next week for my my Sydney show I'm so excited like yeah. it's just being with my peeps doing my thing in this How room. How long is it on for Van? It runs it's a long season it's like five weeks. Running five weeks, weeks in Feb. Starts in Feb, so previewing on the 6th of February and then it runs until the end of March. I tell you what, I'm going to fly to Sydney. I'm going to come and see it when you're there and we're having dinner. I'm so into it. I'm Done. totally. Done. And if, you, if you're it. listening to this and you come to my show and you see me, say hi. Yeah, it's always very really sure. weird when people sort of eyeball you across the room and you're like, do yeah. I owe you money? Like, yeah, yeah just say, please say hi. Well, please. my listeners know when I do live shows, like I'm one of those weirdos. I, I really love interacting with the audience. Like I'm there at least an hour or sometimes two hours before, happy to have a chat. You're the same. Like you're a people person. Come and say hi. If you're a hugger, ask for a hug all the rest of it, like it's it's part of the experience, I think. Yeah, and uh, like the experience, uh, uh, the reason why I love being a theatre person is there's something that very special that happens if you're in a room full of strangers having a shared experience. Yes. Like it changes your relationship to everybody else in that room because whoever yeah. you are and wherever you've come from, mm. you will have something in common at mm. the end of two hours. Yeah. And it's quite a beautiful and special bond, especially yeah. if you've had like a, a big night of laughing or a big night of crying. Yeah. You know, it's something that you've got forever. And other yeah. people who've had that experience, you have that bond with them. And it's yeah. it's important. That's it's why we invented it. It, is, it actually is a relationship. Yeah. It actually is an energetic exchange in the room. Now, I want to take you to a recent post of yours, and you and I have discussed this off the podcast before, but I absolutely loved the crystallisation of you talking about your lovely partner, Ben, and essentially the way I read it was a call to women to say, like, don't accept less because you think, well, I'm nearly 30 and I need to be married or I'm nearly 35 and I need to find someone or whatever. You were giving Ben as an example of why it is essential to wait like for the right person. Have I summarised that correctly? Well, yeah. I mean, Nellie, this is going to be, it might be a surprise to some of the men who abuse me on the internet, but probably not a surprise to any woman in, in their 40s, but I've been around. Yeah. And I've had, <laughs> had adventures, some of which were sure. very exciting, some of which were less so. Yeah. But I 
never settled down, settled down, didn't have the, oh, my God, I'm not married at 30 panic. I certainly had the I don't have babies at 35 panic, which is slightly different. But I had been in relationships, one with an absolutely wonderful man, like a a prize, a prince of a human who was really smart, really kind, really good, lovely family, and who asked me to marry him and something in me just went, no, you can't, you can't. You're just not, that's not what, where What was going. it in you, do you think? Look, I don't know. I think we were, with that relationship in particular, I think we had we had been living together for some time and I adored this man. He was, you know, we were university boyfriend and girlfriend. We met through student activism. We were both really committed environmentalists. Mm. You know, we he was the one who put my, when the cops dislocated my shoulder at a demo, he was the one who popped it back in. Oof. And, yeah, and, yeah, hot, right? And, um, and he was just a thoroughly good person and I loved his family as my own. Mm. But we had been, we had a sort of, lo- we called him the lodger, this really good friend of ours, from uni who was slightly older, he had been living in a granny flat under one of the crazy houses in Wollongong that we lived in and we really loved him. And he had been my boyfriend's flatmate before and had broken up with his girlfriend and that household broke up and we moved to a new house and we had we had a room for this friend and he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll probably bring my stuff around on the weekend. And because he was always at his girlfriend, so he was the lodger and you'd see him for like two hours painting in the nude and then he'd go. <laughs> and he was quite an extraordinary person. Anyway, he died of a brain hemorrhage mm. just before he moved in. Mm. And I was 26 oh, and wow. my partner was 28. And it sounds like that's not a big difference, but it actually was. And when Mark died, I was like, what have I done with my life? Like I live in Wollongong. Wollongong's awesome. Like don't get me wrong. It's Mm. always going to be my spiritual home. It's the most beautiful place in the world. Mm. But I was like, I've done these degrees and what do they mean? Like what am I I doing? Mm. And, you know, I've been telling everybody for years I want to be a famous playwright, but, you know, I work for local council and I'm just here. Yeah. And so there was like a, there was a reckoning. Yeah. And I think death does that. Yeah. And my boyfriend had won a PhD scholarship and he was a really, really bright man. And he was certainly on a trajectory and he was like, we could buy this house. We could settle down, Mm. you know, that's all on the table. And his Mm. parents had married young as well, which I think was a big influence on him, Mm. whereas my parents had married later in the 70s, 30 was like, oh, my God, so old. Can you imagine getting married at 30 in the 70s? But I just went, no, I can't. Like Mm. there's a big world out there. And I won a scholarship um, to do an exchange semester at the University of Sheffield in the UK and I went, I'll be back in six months and I didn't come back for 10 years. Yeah, yeah. And I I knew it and that, that death had... There was like a real turning point in my life because Mark was so talented and he was a visual artist. He'd started off as a banker and he had quite conservative parents and he sort of pursued what they wanted. Mm. And then he had his moment of clarity and went, 
I'm an artist. I'm going yeah. to art school. And yeah. he, he was art school. Like he was the painting mm. in, in the nude through the best art student party I ever went to, which was a seventh <laughs> party, and he went as Brett Whiteley oh. and the fog machine blew up and, like, everything was awesome. Yeah. And he was doing really well and his art was being bought for big collections and big galleries and it was all about to happen yeah. and then it was yeah. over. Yeah. And I was like, life is not about waiting for a life. Life no. is about the active. It's that and- conscious. I mean, I love two things about this. I mean, I'm, of course, I'm sorry for that loss and I'm, I can tell it still hurts as it does when you lose someone special. But two things I love about it, one, the respect with which you talk about that partner because I think one of the narratives in the ether that we need to entrench more is that you can leave someone that you loved. It doesn't have to be that they were a terrible person. It doesn't have to be a failure. It doesn't have to be that you're a terrible person. It can just be it just wasn't right and I knew it wasn't right. Well, I don't come out of this story entirely covered in glory because I came back from England after a while um, and we hung on, like we stayed together with me doing nine months in the UK then three months at home. Mm. And he eventually went, I can't do this anymore, and he ended it and I had the full-on heartbreak, nervous breakdown about it. But, I mean, I had already said no to marrying him. Like what did I think? I mean, Mm. I was... to be fair, we were young. We were very yeah. young. Yeah. And I came back to Australia and um, and said we should get back together. And he said, if we do, you will resent me for the rest of my life. You oh, will. clever boy. Absolutely will. And yeah. it was true. And I think, you know, my heartbreak was about appreciating him because mm. he was. He was great. Mm. But you know, it's actually okay mm. to break, it's okay to break up. Mm. And the the one thing I have learned in my life is there's no such thing as a bad breakup. There isn't. Mm. There are better and worse ways of dealing with it. Mm. But, you know, he ended up partnered with the right person. She's mm. lovely. They have great kids. His career went in an unexpected direction, as it turned out. Mm. But we're really good friends now. Like, lovely. You know, and he... I respect his choice of partner and he respects mine and that's a really beautiful thing. That's lovely. But, you know, it's it's it was important to just be honest with myself mm. and we all go through periods of greater personal honesty and less, mm. but I think I had enough of a, a drive because I've got a vocational calling mm. to override bad decisions, mm. you know, because I, I knew I had this this absolute motivation and that was inexplicable. Like I'm, as you know better than most people, I'm from nothing. My father was a yeah. club manager who alternated yeah. alternated as a taxi driver or worked at a racetrack and yeah. my mum was the steno who ended up in the public service and we were, you know, outer suburban, white-collar white working-class people mm. and just we just know the closest we had to a friend in the arts was a woman who was an adult entertainer. Yeah. <laughs> who used to lend me dresses for school costume things that were not like the dresses the other girls were wearing. And oh, man. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. Another commonality. I don't think we've ever discussed this. The first live performance that I ever saw was in my hometown in Meriden in WA, similar, you know, background to yours, and it was collars and cuffs. Loves it. Loves I think it. I was like 13 or 14 and me and my aunties and my mum and whoever went saw a fucking strip show. 
Yeah. And I loved it. Like uh, the atmosphere and the, oh, my God, people do this? I have been pro-sequin from a very young age. Indeed. And pro-beating. If there's beating, I'm in. I'm in. I'm just, I'm holus bolus. Like, just to clarify, you mean B-E-A-D-I-N-G, not beating. Yeah, B-E-A-D, yes. beating, beating, yes. not beating. Beating. No, no, yes. you know. Love like, a show girl. Love a show girl. Yeah. Love a bit Love a bit of RSL late night entertainment, yeah, got to say. Sure. Loud carpet and yeah. the smell of a glass ashtray. That's yeah. home to me. Yeah, yeah, totally. Anyway, so um, and I wanted to, uh, wanted to be a playwright, which is completely mm. inexplicable to mm. anyone. And it was, it was like saying, you know, I want to rub the moon on my face. Mm. I mean, it was just so random. Mm. But I had that calling and I pursued it somehow mm. and not knowing what I was doing, one foot in front of the other, trying to um, build a career as a writer. Mm. And my family were as supportive as they possibly could be with no money and no idea about what I was actually mm. trying to do. Mm. My poor dad, like, you know, in the station. You station Mars. I mean, yeah, totally. It's like I'm going to Mars and I'm going to live in a yurt. Okay, yeah. Van. Sure. Yeah. I, but you, but you got into marketing. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to art school. I'm going to art school. So, and because I had that, I always knew that that would require more of a sacrifice, and it was going to be harder because mm. I was a bogan, because I had no idea what I was doing, and that I knew that that would entail sacrifices. Can I join a couple of dots here? Because what I what I hear is that one of the things we talk a lot on the podcast about is this idea of ripping up the script, you know, that we're handed cultural scripts that simply don't apply to most of us and some of us turn ourselves inside out trying to fit them and there's certain something that happens. For some people it's in their 30s, for most it's in their 40s or later where they just go, oh, fuck that, like I'm ripping it up, I'm doing it my way and I think that experience of kind of class transition that you and I have both experienced allows you in a way, it's the first ripping up of the script. Yeah. It's the first time where you kind of go, I wasn't meant to go on this path. So if that one script, if that script's ripped up, maybe I can rip other ones up too. So even though you're in a relationship with a lovely man who loves you and you adore and all that sort of stuff, but you know it's not right, that there's also part of you that's already torn the other one. So you kind of go, I don't actually have to get married to this man. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. And my mother was a big influence because my mum tore up her script as much as she could. Yeah. yeah. So my mum grew up um, in the same part of Sydney in the same working class environment, but with fewer options than me. Like further yeah. education was never going to be an option for no. my mother. She left school at 15. Mm. And she could have been, and this was, and mum had gone to convent school because they didn't used to build state schools where Catholics no. lived in Sydney. Um, and she had she had received that really full-on traditional Catholic mm. Mm. sort of social, cultural education. Mm. And all of the other girls were getting married when they were 17, 18. Mm. And mum just went, nah, nah. big mm. world things to see, I'm a bit different mm. and I'm going to do my own thing. And my mother was like working three jobs and had like a late night job at the post office and managed to, in the mail sorting room, and she was working in an office and doing all kinds of stuff. And she managed to get enough money together to get a ticket on a boat to go to London in the Amazing. 1960s. And from from there she realised, well, she'd already 
my, she'd already yeah. done this one journey. She could yeah. do heaps. I mean, my mother ended up in East Berlin and Switzerland and then she went wow. to Canada and she met a guy and, like, almost eloped to Mexico and then went, yeah. no, and then went Good back. Good She just did these amazing things and she yeah. went to Japan, she went to Sri Lanka, like, yeah. unheard of for a working And that ago. must have affected you. This is a long bow, but I reckon you can handle it. I was watching of all random things last night. I hesitate to even name him because of some of the behaviour that he's done. But anyway, it's relevant. Kanye West with um, David Letterman on that show where his interview show. And he was basically saying that his mother was uh, and his father as well were both very, in my language, they were ripping up the script, but well before he was. And that he thought that that was genetic He's like, this is literally in my body to be someone who goes against the grain, doesn't like groupthink, all that sort of stuff. Now we can debate Kanye's ideas. I can't be bothered, but you know what I mean? Do you think? Just so everybody knows, the anti-Semitism is right out. It is bad. Yeah, yep. not good, among other things. Yep. Yeah, among other things. I mean, other things he said context. are also bad, but that one is kind of a headline bad. But, you know. Headline bad, his treatment of his wife. Anyway. But I'm interested in whether or not you think, did you get that from your mum, like, um, genetically? No. Or do you think she taught it to you? she, because, I mean, I don't really go in for that genetic. Yeah, determinism. Inheritance thing. Um, I had an extremely close relationship with my parents because I was an only child and Mm. I was a really wanted child, which makes a Mm. huge difference. Mm. Because what happened was my mum went overseas. She was overseas for a very long time. She came back when she was 30. She'd been in a relationship. She had moved to Singapore to be with this guy, got off the plane and note and realised immediately it was over and then hung on and then eventually went, you know, I'm better than this and came back to Australia. And she went out, the joke was she went to see the movie Waterloo with her brother and his <laughs> wife. And then they went to Redfern RSL, as you would, afterwards. And this guy walked in and mum saw him immediately and went, that's the guy. And it was my dad. And my dad was wearing a purple jacket, a purple shirt and a white tie. And my mother thought he was probably a gangster. Oh, my God. And she's carrying a briefcase as well. It was love at first sight. Yeah, so this is what's interesting about this story. So mum saw him and just went, that's the guy. He was with another girl and mum worked a magic, the other girl disappeared. And my they met again like the next day because my dad was was working for the TAB and my mother's brother was as well. And they were at the races and mum got the feeling knew that dad was going to be there and turned up. And you know, they hit it off. And within six days, dad said, Well, are we getting married or what? And mum oh, was like, Wow. But this was the line when Bogans meet. And mum went, Isn't it isn't it a bit soon? Yeah. And Dad just turned to her and went, Barbara, when you know, you know. And Mum oh. agreed. So they were married, like, within, when would they have met? They were married within, like, two or three months. Wow. And then they wanted to have a baby and they couldn't have one. So Mum had all these problems, and this is long before IVF or mm. anything, and they were just, like, they tried and tried and tried, and Mum was like, Look, I may not be able to give you children. And dad was where dad was like, So what? That's the hand we've been dealt. We've got one oh, another. Dad. And mum reckons that she got pregnant that night. That night oh, with wow. that wow conversation. Stop and it. So you're like, of- I'm getting like goosebumps. Well, I have to say two things. One, you're absolutely terrifying me. 
because every bit of advice that I give on this podcast is like, don't rush in, don't fucking move in too quick, don't introduce the kids, call your jets, call your jets. Because a lot of people coming back into dating at at my age, I'm a little bit older than you, or even at your age, there can be a tendency to go, oh, I, I fucked it up the first time and leap in too quickly and there can be a whole heap of consequences for that. Oh, look. It's and- a beautiful story. So do you want me to tell you the Ben story? Oh, no, I know this story. You saw him across the room at Trade Hall. I did. Hall. Literally the same thing with my mother and my dad. See? I, Maybe it I, is genetic. I reached this point. So I had been sober for a long time and I was dating in Melbourne, which is just like going to the zoo. Yeah. Like it is literally like... It's 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 like eating twenty six candy bars yeah. and or or drinking ten liters of red cordial and going yeah. to the zoo like this just a terrible experience and because I'd come out of another long term relationship um, with the funniest breakup ever we, we had decided I got we were living together in London the Tories had got elected and all the work that we were doing he was a psychiatric nurse and I was obviously working in the arts and trying to break into the theatre and the Tories just cut everything cut everything and we went from having you know not a lot of money but enough to live to having none and I ended up working behind a bar and was working really crazy hours and was just you know getting groped and spat on and all the things that happen when you work in bars that billionaires go to um and I like and it just fell apart. Like it was another relationship that was based on an ideal of a future as opposed to what was actually happening. Mm. And when there were these terrible riots in London in 2010 when we were living there and I was actually at a friend's house because I had a head injury and my boyfriend didn't really take it seriously and I was like, Red I'm going to call Lizzie and go to hospital. And she, that night, we were, like, trying to go to hospital and people were, like, stealing televisions and buildings were on fire and all these riots. It was like, oh and she was like, it seems the appropriate time to tell you you have to break up with him. Like, he's yes. just no good. And I was yes. like, I think you're right. Yes. And I'd been offered a job back in Melbourne and, um, well, back in Melbourne, I didn't live in Melbourne, but I'd been offered this amazing job in Melbourne there was a lot more money than I'd been earning and status and a career pathway working for a theatre company. And we were in her, we got back, finally got to see a doctor, we're back in her apartment and there was a riot crowd coming down the street breaking windows with a crowbar and we could hear wow. them. And, and she said to me, I'm going to boil some oil. We're on the second story so if they crawl up the building we can pour oil on them. And I was just like... I'm taking that job and I'm going I'm going back to Australia. Yeah, I'm out. Just, and I and I when I finally got back to my flat, I said to my boyfriend, I said, I don't want to live here anymore. Like it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And yeah. you're not like what are we doing? Like it's yeah. time. Yeah. And Oh, you um, wouldn't even take me to the ER, fuck it. Yeah. Done. He, yeah. The nurse wouldn't have me to the ER. Yeah. yeah, okay. So good luck to your patients. But we yeah. um I mean, our relationship was in terrible trouble and it's sort of just holding it together kind of thing. And we got to the airport and, and so he, we decided that we would continue to be in a relationship until I got on the plane, okay, that was completely insane, but we did it. <laughs> and because um, you do insane things and it was just easier, frankly. Yeah. Um, and we got to the airport and I was like, I guess this is it. And he was like, "No, no, I love you. You can't. You can't. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I'll come. You can't. We've got to stay together." The and last I was gasp. like, 
this is what you know and so we and we sort of stayed together for another six weeks and then I think I became the first person to end a relationship over Skype I don't know but our Skype connection failed and I just thought why am I doing this and we were having a chat and it's like if you're not enthralled in the Skype chat get out kind of thing but it was one of those momentous moments where it turned out that within a 24-hour period I had um, ended a relationship restarted a relationship moved to another country, started a new job and quit smoking, which in the long run was probably a great decision, but but at the time was probably a, was probably a, a bridge too far. It's but, a lot. But, I, but I, when we broke up, I was in Melbourne and I had a sook for several months and then I started dating again. And then I was just dating too much because it was the whole Tinder yeah. thing where you could just go on a thousand dates. Oh, I get it. You could be yeah. bored and you could, it was like ordering yeah. takeaway. Do I yeah. feel like cooking? Not really, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And sort of reaching this point where it was just a game. The best yeah. thing, that two really great things happened to me, internet dating. One, I met my musical theatre partner, Richard. Lovely. Because we matched on Tinder because we liked all the same music and had all the same yeah. friends. <laughs> and we spent months trying to work out why we weren't a really smoking couple because yeah. there was just no vibe. Yeah, yeah. And and I worked it out. I was like, oh, my God, we're music theatre collaborators because yeah. I love Joanna Newsom and so do you. So do you. you. Know, like- I've met a couple of friends from online dating. Same thing. Sometimes you just rock up and you really like each other but it's just not there. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. The problem with Tinder in particular is you meet yourself. Like somebody yes. who knows the people you know and likes the things who yes. you like. Yes. That is you. Yes. And that's awesome in a music theatre collaboration, can I just yeah. say. Like, and I refer yeah. to Richard as my work husband, which yeah. is which is what he is, you know. Yeah. Like that's a very committed relationship. Yeah. Um, and he's just one of the most amazing people I've ever met. But this is the other thing, like, you know, just because you match with somebody on paper or through an algorithm, yeah, no. that's not the yeah. connection. There are other things you need to feed. And I also met this amazing um, 23-year-old Oh. Who, yeah, yeah, who a guy called David M. Green, who um, I'm incredibly good friends with. And I was like, why are you even talking to me? I'm 37. He said, I see you play Scrabble. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to go on a date with you. He said, frankly, I'm just new to town. I would just really love a Scrabble game. Oh. So we met up to play Scrabble and just That's ask sweet. one another about how dating was going and what was yeah. happening. And we were like bailing on dates to like find one another from the bathrooms going, do you want to meet up in Brunswick and play some Scrabble? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I can get a cab and be there in 20 minutes. And he'd be like, I've got my travel set. I'll be there, you know, kind of Love thing. Love it. And that was the other brilliant thing that happened. And he and I, I now I got I got to bring Ben to his wedding. And, oh, just how, and it's not, that's the thing. Relationships, capital R, it's not all about romance, right? It can be investing in friendships. I tell you what I'm going to do because clearly, and this was always going to happen, you and I well over time, but we're going to flash forward and then I'm going to get you back on for part two. Oh my god! The point at which you walk in to trades hall. What age are you? 
I'm 39. It's literally the day before I turn 40. The day before you turn 40, you walk in, you see this man across the room, you're now married to him. I, uh, yeah, well, I knew that was going to happen when I saw him. I, I knew. Shut and the front like, door. It, the really funny thing is, you know, and Ben and I have talked about this, if we had have met one another a week earlier or a week later, it might have been a different story. Mm. But, but I actually attribute building relationships like my relationship with Richard and my relationship with David and going, actually, my life's really great. Like, yes. My life's really great. Yes. So I stopped... I stopped the sort of frenetic dating mm. because I had built relationships with other people in my life mm. that were meaningful and important mm. and like really solid friendships. And as mm. they partnered up, the the people they partnered with became friends of mine too. And that means you're not starting, like maybe that makes the conditions where you can receive the love of someone like Ben because you're not starting from a position of, desperation is too strong a word, but, you know, that idea of I need someone to sort my life out or complete me or make me feel better. You're starting from I'm good. What can you add? Well, yeah, basically. I mean, and by that point, like I like I said, I had not been dating for a while. Like I just, yeah. I, I just gone, actually, I'm good. And I'd reached that point of going, if I never partner with anyone, mm. it's fine because mm. I love my career mm. and there are all of these great pluses to being on my own. I'll like be okay. I can control my time. Yeah. Yeah. I can pursue my interests. I don't have to accommodate anybody else's timetable. Mm. I can travel whenever I want. Like, yeah. And I did. Like I decided I was going to, I got invited to a conference in Italy and I went, I can go, so I will go. Yeah, I'll so go. I had this amazing adventure in Italy and then I went to visit my best friend in Vienna and, yeah. you know, like, yeah. And that's what a life. Like, that's amazing. Oh, this is so, then, this leads perfectly into our listener call. Are you ready to hear it? Because yes. it's literally, this is the vibe. Hi, Nelly. So a bit of background about me. I'm 63. I've just divorced my third husband after 31 years of marriage. I live in a non-speaking, non-English speaking country overseas, have been outside Australia for 25 years. I come from Western Australia, lived some of my childhood in Kalgoorlie, so not far from Meriden. I, uh, I'm very tall, very intelligent, very upfront. How the hell do you think I'm going to go forward with my life now? Any ideas? I mean, I've got a million. I mean, your life Bad, is already amazing. Badam. This is, okay, you tell me what you hear and then I will piggyback on you. Oh, look, how are you going to go forward? I mean, your life is of infinite potential. You if are you going are, forward. Well, yeah, like your life is going forward. Your life is going forward, you know, that's one thing you cannot stop except definitively. And it's just like if you are a person of curiosity and enthusiasm, mm. the world is limitless. Mm. There's so much to see and to do and people to meet and causes to commit to and justice to fight for and trees to sit under. Somebody, a really good friend of mine was quoting a Rilke poem yesterday. Where is the Rilke poem? And it's this this absolutely glorious um, meditation on art. I'm going to read it to you. You need to make some chat while I find it. No, I'll wait for you. Hang on. I'm just oh, going to wait for out. me. God, I'm going to let the dog out. 
Okay, so no. this is a Reina Maria Rilke. It's Archaic Torso of Apollo. We cannot know his legendary head with eyes like ripening fruit, and yet his torso is still suffused with brilliance from inside, like a lamp in which his gaze, now turned to low, gleams in all its power. Otherwise, the curved breast could not dazzle you so, nor could a smile run through the placid hips and thighs to that dark centre where procreation flared. Mm. Otherwise, this stone would seem defaced beneath the translucent cascade of the shoulders and would not glisten like a wild beast's fur, would not from all the borders of itself burst like a star, for here there is no place that does not see you. You must change your life. Oh, oh, stop. I have a combination of goosebumps and fanny flutters, Van Batten. Well, this is the thing, like the the poem's about how great art inspires growth Mm. and inner change. And the friend of mine who sent it to me is this brilliant American writer who suffers from agoraphobia Mm. and it's had a terrible effect on her, like limiting her physical world. Yeah. And it, and I and she was like, what do I do? How do I how do I have these moments if I can't go to the Met? And I'm like, Allegri's Mazaire, mm. Glenn Gould's performance of Bach's Goldberg variations. Mm. Like this infinite, we have never lived in a more culturally rich time where all the treasures of every great civilization mm. are accessible to us. Mm. And and for me, you know, that's when my father died, my mother was my mother was a widow for ten years, mm. you know, nursing this grief. And when Dad died, I was single and on my sort of dating train. And my mother, I remember bawling at the dining room table, saying, "Just be aware that this is the price of marriage. This is the price of true love. This grief insurmountable." Oh. And it was it was a hell of a warning. Mm. Um, and and it made me think, well, th- then it's got to be worth it, doesn't it? Like, you know. Yeah, that's right. And- yes, man. Can we sit with that for a second? That is, to me, that's the key, right? It's, as you know, I've just been through a funeral with beautiful Cal Wilson and one of her best friends from New Zealand read a beautiful poem and the gist of it was basically I will always carry your heart in my heart. And that, like, I can't even... I can't explain the enormity of that. What connecting that to what you're saying, to me, this is why if you are going to invest in true love, we know the cost of that could come, right? Yeah. Either through death or divorce. And it is the risk that you either choose to take or don't. I would say going back to the listener. There's a couple of possibilities. One is this is your third divorce. I don't see that as a failure. Like don't let anyone say to you, oh, you've been married throughout, whatever. If you want to get married again, go for it. What I would say, though, just an invitation to consider whether you want to make that investment. Maybe you want to make a different investment. As Van's saying, is it in art? Is it in travel? Is it in your friendships? Do you want to, and I don't mean this in a trite way, I'm not saying you have to play lawn bowls, do you want to find a new skill? You're not done yet, babe. You're 63. You could have another 20, 30 years on the planet. There's plenty of novelists who didn't start 
writing until that age or painting or singing or whatever it is, what is it that you actually want out of the rest of your life? Don't tell yourself that has to be another husband. It might not be. You might take lovers. Well, my mum was 71 when Dad died. Yeah. And my mother's next 10 years were about music and art and yeah. all the things that she was interested in. Mm. Uh, and going through her house and sort of sorting, I found the most extraordinary collection of music programs, mm. Brandenburg Orchestra and uh, the Australian Opera and just, you know, public talks that she'd go to and mm. demos that she went to. And my mother had this unbelievable group of friends, the little gang, mm. and they shared these experiences with her and they they had these amazing adventures. And even when my mother got sick and was physically incapable of leaving the house. My mother was obsessively listening to ABC Jazz and mm. ABC Classical mm. and watching the news and engaging and staying part of life, like, to the end. And, and whatever you know, it is for you, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to yeah. share with you, I've never, this is quite vulnerable, but I think it's it's important to reciprocate that vulnerability with the caller. I have this vision. If I am single at 63... This is so embarrassing, but it's also beautiful. I have this vision that I will have an apartment in the CBD in Melbourne because my love affair with Melbourne will not end and that I will be a Gertrude Stein van. I will be a hosting salons, having dinner parties, going to the theatre when I can, walking around the botanical gardens. If that's me on my own, that is a beautiful vision. If that's me with someone that I love and adore, that's also a beautiful vision. Neither have more weight for me. Oh, well, this is the thing. I mean, my mother obsessively loved the Sydney Swans. Sometimes yeah. we're disturbing. There was a shrine yeah. incident, which was a bit difficult <laughs> to do. But this is the thing. Like, it was about where is the centre of your joy yes. and where can you, where do you love your own company the most? Yes. Yes. And like I'm really grateful that I spent so much time travelling on my own. Like yes. I really learnt to love my own company yeah. and to, you know, I have a very strong inner compass Yeah, and can find where I, what I need to see and where I need to go and have that sense of confidence in a new yeah. city that I can mm. orient myself. Mm. And you can learn I'm not going to say there you weren't lonely times on the road. But it's a learned skill. It yeah, really is. And yeah. it's the most liberating. Yeah. You know, I think of those months before I met Ben and how I had accumulated all of these experiences, made all of these decisions, and then finally knew what my life was and I was content. Yeah. And there were happier days and there were sadder days because life mm. is like that. Yeah. But and a there, fundamental but sense of contentment. There are in relationships too. Yeah. I think that's important as well. Well, so, I wouldn't give him back, frankly, Nelly. I'm no, putting... of course you wouldn't bless. But for our caller, don't trick your brain into thinking the only way that I my life can move forward is if I find the next husband. That is simply not true. There's plenty no. of people at your age and older on their own. Maybe they take lovers. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're out. Maybe they're not. You get to decide what the rest of your life looks like. And if there's something that you've always wanted to do that you were scared to do, do it. Yeah, absolutely. Do it. 
When when else are you going to do it? Do it now. And, you know, I've got to say one of the greatest senses of joy you'll ever have is in that minute after you've conquered a fear. 100%. You know, and that's extraordinary. You know, I used to be scared of dogs. Do you know this? Yes, yes. And so I got myself locked in a dingo enclosure, which was really terrifying, but I wanted to face down that fear and the dingoes didn't eat me, even though my brain was telling me they were definitely going to eat me. And I walked out and I it was like rebirth. It was mm. like this amazing sense of ownership. Mm. You know, it was like buying a house. Mm. Like, it, in fact, in, I was less excited about buying a house than I was about triumphing over my fear of dogs. Yeah. And it's those kind of. Those things. And they're never done. There's always something. So I don't know if you know this, but I started doing, after wanting to do it for 30 years, I started doing drag last year. I love it. And I'm like, I can't do it. Like, I'm too old. I'm too fat. I don't move well enough. I'm not skilled. Like, I'm used to being in work situations that I know I'm good at where I'm in control. This felt completely out of control. And it was the best thing I could have done because I'm not perfect at it. But I fucking love it. And it just elevated me. It's an elevated version of me. So, therefore, it elevates me. You know what's interesting? Like I think we're having these conversations with a sense of like wonder and amazement Yeah. because, frankly, the cultural document yeah. did not provide women with these stories Absolutely or not. these opportunities. And I think we have to be very clear that we are living in the shadow of patriarchal traditions yeah. that didn't that didn't reward or celebrate the fearlessness mm. of women or the independence of women. Mm. And it is interesting watching Mad Men and mm. watching these these relationships that the characters get into that are obviously based on the memories of the writers writing about their parents yes. is quite yes. clear. You know, and movies like Revolutionary Road and that, mm. you know, that was that was my parents' generation mm. and your parents' generation and yeah. these sort of messages that we had about what life should look like yeah according to who yeah no and it um, this is the thing like the idea that happiness is going to be tied up in a partner you can have a really happy relationship with a partner and I am super pro marriage as long as it's a marriage that's really truly based on the meeting of of minds yeah which you know has happened to me which is great Mm. but I would have been infinitely more unhappy badly partnered mm. than I ever would have been on my own. I would have been happy on my own. Mm. And that's sort oh, of. Babe. We see it all the time. We see it all the time. Even in, in our age group who supposedly post-feminist, we see it all the time. We see people in in marriages that are miserable because it's not culturally acceptable to leave, even though we can still do it. We can do it now. You can get your bank account. You know, the structures are easier, not perfect, but easier. But there's still a cultural pressure. And there is on our caller to kind of go 63, you're done. You're not done. Fuck that. As Van said, this is, think of it as a shadow of patriarchy and rip it up. Rip it up. Move into the light if you need that metaphor. You get to choose. Yeah, be the be the cultural narrative you'd want the women who came after you to read. Yeah, you know? like and and yes. the world is just so exciting. Yeah, and random, and you know, every single place on this planet, like the bleakest, darkest place, is beautiful if you yeah. look at it through yeah. that lens of curiosity and enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah. And they're the I think they're the most important, you know, next to kindness and empathy. 
the most important qualities to cultivate curiosity and enthusiasm and And just being able to look at you know the way the light hits the edge of a roof in an industrial building or you know like a a pigeon dances on an urban street or a flower blooms or any of those things you know and these the moments of of great art whether it's visual or dance or anything else or Mm. sport that speak to these you know, moments of distilled perfection, that is, that's the marrow, man. Like that's, that's the marrow. And I think lean into the positives. So the positives of being single, the main positive I think is freedom. So let's say, I'll give you a concrete example. Let's say you really love cocktails or mocktails. When you're 63, you love cocktails or mocktails. If you had a partner, you'd have to negotiate this on your own. You can go, right. I'm going, if you've got the means, I'm going to go to five, six, 10, 20 places and try that cocktail or that mocktail. And that is my adventure. I'm going to do it once a year for the next 10 years. Whatever it is, you have the freedom to do that in a way that a lot of partnered people don't. The reason I say that is because I think all we hear is the negatives, like you're going to be lonely, you're going to be on your own, you haven't got someone there on your birthday or whatever. But what are the positives? You can also walk into a shop, decide when you leave, decide when you go, you know, like you. that freedom is also to be cherished. And that's not to shit on couples. That's to say there's positives and negatives in both situations. You know, when I broke up with my English boyfriend when I came to Melbourne, I decided I was never going to own a brown couch ever again. Yeah. That was a hard and fast rule. I was like, I do not want a brown couch made of corduroy that no. stinks of incense sticks and yep. cigarette smoke and ex-girlfriend. Done. Like that Done. is just. And do you know what I did, Nelly? Something you could never do in a relationship: white furniture. I bought so oh. much white furniture and patchwork quilts, and oh. I filled the house full of flowers. Oh. And I just, you know, and it was. There are opportunities available to you when you're only accountable to yourself. I and live for one day being able to have white shag carpet. Oh, wow. White <laughs> Can you imagine? Carpet. Can you yeah. imagine my little salon? You know, Ben and I bought a couch. We have to buy a new couch. And obviously I picked the colour. I think we all know it's green. By the way, it's yeah. actually deep. It's a deep rainforest teal. But it was the most extraordinary experience because it was really like that's marriage because he's six one and I'm five two. Yeah. And if he if he can sit on a couch without his knees going to his ears, yeah. my feet won't reach the ground. Yeah. And it was this like interminable. It was like being on a reality television show. In fact, there's a pitch. It's called yes. couch, and it's just couples buying a couch. Buying a couch. And and I said to the guy in the store, "Do people fight here?" And he was like. All everyone everyone fights yeah. here. This is what happens. Yeah. And just the number of negotiations yeah. required around this couch and this yeah. this it's process of, of negotiation. And yeah. I, I think that we have a couch that, you know, like is not my ideal couch and maybe not his. I mean, it yeah. is deep rainforest teal. Yeah. But, you know, if you're on your own you can yeah. buy a, and you're buying a couch, Our buy caller, the couch. You, she can go know. and buy the pair of lips couch if she wants to. In white. Right, in white. She can do whatever she wants. And please call back and let us know if you've made any plans like that because I'd love to hear, like, concrete examples of things where you kind of go, all right, this this is my pivot. 
All right, we're going to finish up on my two favourite segments, No Shade on My Ex, where I absolutely encourage you to shade an ex-fan. You can go as superficial or as deep as you like. And there are 10 buts. So if you're on a date with a guy, imagine yourself dating. If you're on a date with a guy and he was like a hot and hot hottie, but he did something where you went, absolutely not, I'm out. Okay. So I loved the band Faith No More. Oh, yeah. All through high school. Loved them. Absolutely defined myself by this love, by yeah. my love of this band. Gorgeous. And so did my best friend. Yeah. And we were both stumbling to them and we like knew all the words to all the songs and we would go on beach holidays and sing them together in the water in the middle yeah. of the night when we, you know, that kind of thing. And when I was at university, I was re- like reviewing bands for the student newspaper and I got golden tickets to the Faith No More tour, right? Oh. Absolutely golden tickets. And I was like, I'm going to take my best friend and we're going to have a good time. But I had this very good looking dopey boyfriend at the time. And I I knew that the protocol was that I would have to ask him. Oh, no. And I did. And he went, yeah, I think they're kind of crap, but, yeah, like I guess they're free tickets and we'll get free drinks. Oh. And I was just like, okay, all right, this can't be happening. Surely he will cancel. But he didn't. And he also turned up to the gig from work. And by this stage, he'd got a job at an insurance company. And I remember what he was wearing. He was wearing like a red sweater and a collared shirt. And I'm you can imagine what I look like. Like I've got a pair of cut-off camo pants and steel cap boots and like 20 like sets of beads. And You're bloody like, tank girl. I'm yeah. just like, yeah, I am tank girl at this point in my life. And I'm just like, okay, all right, sure. And he's just misery for the whole gig, like oh, absolute misery. Fuck. And this is when stage diving is still legal and I, so yeah. I want to get up the front, but he thinks it's ridiculous and just uh, What a buzzkill. Yeah, absolutely. And we have backstage passes and then he's like, oh. what do to this bill? Right, the whole thing. And I'm like, fine. And we're leaving and I run into the popular girl from high school and, like, and she's there because we're all there because we're all obsessed with yeah. that and I'm like, oh, hi. And she's with the other girls from high school. They're still a pack. Yeah. And she's like, what are you doing here? And I went and I got to go, oh, well, actually, I have these, like, backstage passes and golden tickets because I'm a music journalist now. Mm. And, um, yeah, and this is my boyfriend. And uh, I'm really trying hard not to say his name. And, yeah, this is my boyfriend. Uh, these are the girls from school. Um yeah, and I said, so what are you doing now? And she was like, oh, I'm a beautician. And I knew for a fact she was a mortician, so I really thoroughly enjoyed this piece of news. And she was like, oh, well, I guess I'll see you around. And I went, yeah. And she was like, enjoy your backstage passes. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we will. We weren't going to. We're going to go home. Anyway, the crowd sort of surged between us and, she, like, we disappeared in the crowd, but I could still hear her. And she went, just, was that Vanessa Padham? Oh, my God. Her boyfriend's really good looking. I don't understand. She totally wasn't popular at high school. Oh, my God. And then I had that moment of going, thank you, boyfriend. Your role in my life has come to an end. (laughs) And I broke up with him. I was like, that may have been a buzzkill, but you were a bit of arm candy for the school bully. Um, yeah, I mean, he was, he was like seriously hot, but I was just like, you know, 
Yeah, yeah it's not enough. It's, it's really, not it's enough. not even, it's not even starting line. No, nah, like, it's not. It's not. You know? And we learned this is one of the delightful things about dating older, where you go, that shit is so irrelevant, right? Like, of course, there has to be sexual chemistry, but it is not. Who gives a shit? If someone's going to buzz kill my Melissa Etheridge concert, they're not welcome. You know what I'm saying? I just remember that night was excruciating and it just it taught me so many lessons. Like I just should have called my best friend and she would have been like, oh, my yes. God, you know. Yes. Been one of the best you would have had the life. time of your life. Yeah. All right, now he's a 10, but you're sitting on a date, everything's perfect, you think everything's going great and then he does something. Do not make it as rude to the waiters because everyone says that and that's an absolute deal breaker. What's something? Make it superficial as you can. That's hard for a Van Badham. Official. Uh, I remember very nice man, like you know, impressive job, yeah. great credentials. Met online, went to a very nice restaurant. Um, he was very charming, and then during the meal, took food off my plate without asking. Without asking. Ooh, yeah. no. I was just like, you yeah, know, there's a boundary issue. There's yeah. a boundary issue. And I am not cool with it. Is this a first date? This is a first date. So you want like a couple. He used chopsticks to take a wonton from my plate. From your plate without asking. From my plate without okay. asking. Yeah, and no, off your plate. And he could see it in my face. Yeah. He knew that. And he was like, oh, was that all right? I was like, oh, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Except it wasn't. <laughs> On a first date. Okay. On a first date. Couples do that. I think but he just freaked out. To be fair, in retrospect, he hadn't been single very he'd come out of a long-term relationship. I'd come out of a long-term relationship. We we're both very awkward. But I was like, nah. Nah. You know, the funniest one I ever met on Tinder was a guy who turned up and he, the first thing he said to me was, What on earth are you wearing? And I was oh. like, see ya, and just spun and walked. Good. And that was very empowering. I tell you something funny though, my Tinder picture used to be me in a ball gown with a goat. No. <laughs> And which I thought was a great picture because it sort of says everything. And Ben remembers seeing that picture and going, that chick looks like a moon. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. She looks like a handful. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love. And can I say on a serious, semi-serious note, I think it's a really important thing for people listening to remember, if you show up on a date, especially if you're doing like a Tinder date or something, and someone is overtly rude, which saying to you, you know, what are you wearing? That's clearly overtly rude. You do not have to stay. You pick up your shit and you leave. I didn't even I didn't even have time to put my shit down. I literally right. walked in. Can Perfect. I just say, I looked amazing. I was wearing a black bowler hat and this beautiful black woolen frock coat. Adorable. And it was a windy, wet Melbourne day. Yeah, right? gorgeous. And I looked super cute. And yeah. I got from some guy in jeans and a t yeah. What, are you, what are you wearing? Also, even if you didn't like your outfit, don't say it. Like if that's the first thing you say to someone, imagine what he's going to be just, saying in a month. I, no. Oh, it was hilarious. I just thought I work in the theatre. You know, oh, I can get a lot weirder yeah. than this, buddy. And, that's you know, a- some people would think that was exciting and fun. <laughs> You're lucky I didn't show up in my normal outfits. I was trying yeah. to turn it down for you. Yeah. Oh, gorgeous. Oh, now, Van Baden, will you come back on and tell us the best? I will. Story? I will. I've really been yapping. 
It's you. Yeah, we do. You That's haven't what we seen do. you. I can't stand it. I know. This is this is what we do. I knew this is how it would go and I love it, but I want to get the full Ben story when we've got more time. You are adorable. I have adored you for many, many years. You're so You like thoughtful. the way I dress, right? Like that's I love fun. the You're hot as fuck, mate. Come on. <laughs> Look at you. You're a vision. But I love your columns, your work, everything so thoughtful. And I mean it. I'm going to come to Sydney and see your play. Oh, be, I, would, I would be so honoured. Our caller, this is the kind of thing that I'm going to myself, right, just give yourself a little, I don't do New Year's resolutions, but I'm going 2024, that can be my treat for myself. That's Nelly's oh, little treat. And we will have a fun time. Oh, you best believe. Yeah, like, I mean, the world's amazing. It is. Amazing. Yeah. Do you know what the other great thing about being in the arts is? You learn how to have an amazing time with absolutely no money. Hundred percent. You know, like yes. I just, I did not earn a dollar, and for the vast majority of my career, yeah, <laughs> I still don't earn what other middle yeah. class people earn. No, now we're that both I've made my class, I always thought class transition would come with, I don't know, yeah, money, more cars, yeah. or something. But um, <laughs> but it's that thing. It's like knowing the most valuable commodity on earth is an adventure. Guess what? They don't take at Cafe Sydney's payment cultural capital. <laughs> But we'll try. True. We'll try. But you, can, but you know, if you're so inclined, you can still drink goon from a bag on the Sydney Harbour, and you know that you is. Sure right. can you sure can? I love you, Van Batam. I love you too. I miss you. I miss you too. I will see you in Sydney. Oh my god, amazing! Bye, darling. Bye, dear Nelly. I could use some advice, dear Nelly. Yeah, some help would be nice, dear Nelly. I'm eager to hear your point of view, dear Nelly. There's a lot to explore, dear Nelly. When you're 40 or more, dear Nelly. So I'm hoping we can talk it through. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Dear Nelly. Now, don't be shy. I would love to hear your questions and comments. To send me a recording or an email, go to nellythomas.com and follow the links. It's super easy and you might hear me talk about your question in a future episode. 
Huge thanks to producer Sam Peterson from the Producer Boy creative production team and to producer Faye Younger, who in addition to being an excellent human, is also a brilliant real estate buyer's advocate and can be found at youngerhill.com. Thanks to Acast and all the team. And lastly, to you. Without the listeners, I'm just a middle-aged mole talking shit to no one. Please rate, review and consider subscribing for five bucks a month for a bonus episode and to help me keep the lights on. And tell your bloody mates, would you? I'd really appreciate it. Love yous.